Hi there, this is Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire. And this is the Love to Tell the Story podcast. Joy. Joy unabashed, joy unrestrained, and joy unrelenting. It's this kind of joy that exists at the very core of our Christian faith. But where is joy to be found in times such as these? Based on Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 4, verses 1 through 9, here's today's message, which is entitled, Again I Will Say, Rejoice. Well, first of all, let's say that verse again. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I will say, Rejoice. Now, that wonderful verse and our wonderful singing notwithstanding, I've got to tell you this morning that this is one of those texts, especially after all the things that have gone on in this world this week, that begs a question that perhaps is as much on your mind as it has been on mine. How can there be rejoicing in times such as these? One morning, some years ago now, as I was starting out uh, as the brand new pastor of a new congregation, the church secretary asked me a question that, quite honestly, I had never been asked before. What's your life verse? Now, there was a very practical aspect of her question. She was printing up business cards for me, as I recall, and she wanted to include a verse like that. But what she was really asking me was if there was, for me, a particular go-to verse of Scripture that held great meaning for me in my life. And though I remember thinking at that moment that I couldn't possibly narrow that choice down to one verse, because there were so many verses of Scripture that, have, that I love and that had meaning for me, I have to say that my response to her was almost immediate, and it was that verse. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. And I mean, what's not to love about a verse like that? More than simply speaking about a fleeting sense of happiness or or a passing joy of life, what what Paul is talking about here is real and unrestrained rejoicing. The kind of joy that lifts us, us up from the place where we are. The kind of joy that sets the standards for everything else we have in life. The kind of joy that comes in having one's heart and mind wholly guarded in Christ Jesus. And it's this kind of joy. Joy unabashed, joy unrestrained, joy unrelenting that, i got to tell you, exists at the very core of my Christian faith. And certainly it is what I have always intended for my own pastoral ministry. It is what ultimately I would like my preaching to convey. And thus, at that moment, when I thought about it, immediately I realized this wasn't as, as appropriate a life verse as any I could choose. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, 
rejoice. All that said, however, I also have to tell you there have been times over the years, and I speak here not only pastorally but personally, that I have found myself wondering, what does this verse say to those for whom life is not an endless series of victories and celebrations? How do you speak of unrestrained joy to those who have spent their lives caught up in the turbulent tide of life's unpredictable circumstances? The one who's lost a job and now has to seriously wonder how he's going to make ends meet. The one who is forced to endure in the face of chronic pain or a debilitating illness. The one who has lost a loved one to death. The one who has been mired in an abusive relationship. Or perhaps more, most horribly and, and sadly the most immediate, what do you say about this to the families of over 1,300 Israelis, 2,300 Palestinians who have been children, who have been killed, men, women, and children? What do you say to countless others who have been injured in the heinous acts of violence in the Middle East this past week? How do you think they're going to respond to Paul's exhortation to rejoice in the Lord always. Quite frankly, I imagine they'd be apt to think it shallow at best, condescending at worst. Your life is falling apart. The world is going crazy and it's unraveling. Again, I say rejoice. Well, needless to say, friends, in the context of everything that's been going on around us, this idea of unabashed, unrelenting, unrestrained joy doesn't really seem all that realistic, does it? And then, also in our text for this morning, Paul goes on to speak about letting our gentleness be known to everyone, as well as not being anxious about anything to remain steadfast in prayer and with thanksgiving and having the peace of God in our hearts. Don't get me wrong, those are good words. They're beautiful, in fact. But in light of what's happening in the world, in the words of Charles Cusar, it all comes off as, quote, an unrealistic attitude towards life, a Pollyanna religion that ignores the harsh tragedies and calls for a stoic-like serenity emerging from and directed to what some would call the dark side of the human experience. So then, I guess, thinking about that, the question becomes for us, what are we supposed to do with this text? How are we, as 21st century Christians, supposed to respond to Paul's call, his exhortation to rejoice in the Lord always? Was Paul simply being naive, blind to what was really going on? Or maybe when he tells the Philippians and us to rejoice 
Does he have something else on his mind? Well, perhaps the answer, a way that we can begin to make sense of this, comes in thinking about Paul himself. After all, here was a man whose entire ministry in Christ was marked by worldly persecution and ridicule, who himself was driven out of several towns and cities, sometimes uh, outrunning a shower of rocks, other times under the cover of darkness. Someone who through the course of his life, and you can read this in Acts, was shipwrecked, imprisoned, beaten, exposed to death, in danger, having hunger, thirst, fatigue, and cold, and doing it all for the sake of the gospel. At the time of this letter to the church in Philippi, it is late in Paul's life. He is in prison again. This time he is under the guard of the imperial capital of Rome, and he is expecting at any moment that judgment is going to be rendered and he's going to be executed. And in fact, biblical scholars do tell us that these verses from Philippians rank among Paul's final words to the church. And if that weren't bad enough, and certainly it should have been, it turns out that the Philippian church was full of problems of its own. They are few in number. They're filled with fear and doubt about the future. They are being persecuted by everyone in the city of Philippi. And, and what's more, there seems to be infighting going on at just about every level of the church including, it seems, a conflict between two women of the church, one named Euodia and the other named Syntaki, who Paul describes as having struggled beside him in the work of the gospel. So we know that, that Paul held these two women in high regard. We, we don't know the nature of the conflict. Perhaps there was some great and deep theological debate they were having that got out of hand. Perhaps they'd had a bean supper the night before or they just were overtired. Who knows? <laughs> just know that whatever it was, it was making a bad situation in the church even worse. Suffice to say that this was enough to make any of us throw our hands in the air and just give up trying. And yet here's Paul, who remember, who at this point he's getting pretty old, he's feeble, he's at a point where a bit of discouragement would be understandable. Nonetheless, here's Paul saying boldly and without any hesitation at all, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it, rejoice. You know, it's worth noting here, that Paul says this over and over again. Sixteen times he says this in the course of four chapters of this epistle. And Paul does it because he's not talking about rejoicing merely for the sake of feeling happy. But he's doing it because of the one in whom he rejoices. Rejoice in the Lord, Paul says. Rejoice in the Lord always. 
I love what uh, Craig Barnes, author, pastor, recently retired president of Princeton Seminary, I love what he says about this. <clears throat> he points out that, that the most important part of this text, really, for us anyway, comes down to four other words amidst all this talk of rejoicing. You'll notice that he says after this exhortation to rejoice and after he says to let your gentleness be known to everyone, he says this. He says, the Lord is near. Because not only do these words give a reason for Paul's unrelenting joy, they help us to know how to live in this world and how we exist, how we live, how we grow, how we thrive, how we have faith in times such as these. If anyone's going to do anything worthy of their years, Barnes writes, certainly if anyone's going to take on the mantle of leadership, you're going to face conflict and opposition. And the only way that you can keep moving, Barnes says, is if you are unafraid. And the only way you can be unafraid is if you believe that the Lord is near. At the end of the day, you see, we don't rejoice simply because of the things that have happened to us in this life that are good and glorious and fun. Indeed, very often, we rejoice in spite of the things that have happened to us in this life. And the fact that we can rejoice is because the Lord is near, because we have a Savior, a powerful Savior, who is at work in us and through us. That's how Paul could be gentle and serene and filled with peace amidst his dire circumstances. And that's how he could send an exhortation of unrelenting joy to a waning and conflicted church. And friends, that's why you and I, in these days, can still rejoice, despite any and all circumstances that would suggest a different response. Because, to quote Craig Barnes once again, whenever the Lord is near, there is redemption. And the Lord is nearer than it often seems. I'm remembering today one man who was a member of another church I served. He was a young husband and father of two children. And very suddenly and tragically, he was facing a terminal diagnosis of leukemia. As I recall, this had all unfolded very quickly, and neither he nor his family had had any time at all to even process what was happening. Uh, the sadness and the grief amongst his family and amongst all of us in the, town, in the community who knew him was palpable. And yet, when I spoke with him shortly before he passed away, it was clear, first off, that he did not fear death even in some fashions welcomed it as the, the next step of his life's journey. In fact, all he really wanted to talk about in the time I spent with him is about how great a life he had, about what his kids might accomplish as they grew, and 
How lucky he had been to have had the opportunity just a few weeks before to have had the chance to go on a fishing trip with them. And he told me all of this, and finally he just shook his head and he said, well, how can I be anything but happy about that? Friends, I left that place pretty humbled. I went to that man as his pastor, and I was hoping that perhaps I can impart some small level of spiritual comfort in the midst of an impossible situation. But I left bolstered in my own faith. I left filled up with true joy. Because at that very moment, in that hospital room, the Lord was near. Douglas Bratt writes, that we can rejoice that the Lord is near. Because God, who in Jesus Christ promised never to leave or abandon us, is close at hand by the Holy Spirit. So, Brat says, even our most difficult circumstances cannot wrench us from either the Lord or from God's love. Whether God's beloved people are trudging through dark valleys or hiking through beautiful mountains, God is right with us, says Brad. Whether we have to swim through flooded waters or walk in pleasant places in the coming year, God stays with us. The Lord is near in ways in how God is working through difficult circumstances for good. And when we have that, friends, even when we can perceive it as though it were only the size of a mustard seed, well, then we can. We're able to, and we want to let our gentleness be known to everyone. We can learn not to be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let our requests be known to God. Truly knowing for ourselves that peace that passes our human understanding. And we can rejoice. Rejoice. I know. It's all too tempting in this present age, most especially right now, when division and darkness and terror just seems to permeate our thoughts. All too easy to let ourselves become sad and angry and embittered over what the world has become, what life has done to us. But it is with faith in the wisdom, care, and perfect mercy of God that strengthens us to transcend these difficulties of life that we might know life's real joy. Looking first to Jesus Christ and what has, he has done for us and in us and to us. There is reason to rejoice, even in times such as these. But it is essential for us to realize that our joy and our rejoicing is in the Lord. We rejoice not because of what it is we're going through. We rejoice because of the nearness of God. We rejoice in the hope 
and the strength and love and understanding that God gives us to see it all through, no matter what. This is why I think Paul was adamant about all of this. And I love the fact that he just didn't stop with telling the Christians at Philippi to rejoice in the Lord always. No, Paul doubles down. I love it. Again, I will say, rejoice. In case you didn't hear me the first time. Rejoice. This is what the great 20th century theologian Karl Barth was talking about when he wrote that the joy that Paul speaks of is a defiant nonetheless. It draws strength from the gospel story and from laying one's deepest concerns before God with thanksgiving. Ours is a deep joy, one that takes root even in darkness. It is a joy that has its source in God's great presence and the hope that this gives for whatever the future may hold. And so might it be with us, beloved. So might it be even in the face of life's disappointments and difficulties. So might it be even in the wake of the world's many atrocities. May we know the nearness of God so that we can say, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Indeed, in and through all that we face, May Paul's parting words serve both as our mission and our statement of faith, yours and mine. A statement of faith for these times. Beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, Whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And as for the things you have learned and received and heard and noticed in me, do them. Do them. And the God of peace will be with you. Thanks be to God. Amen and amen. And that's the message entitled, Again I Will Say Rejoice. It was recorded during our October the 15th service of worship at East Church, where you are always invited to join us in person for worship every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at the church on 51 Mountain Road, which is just off exit 16 of I-93 in Concord, New Hampshire. I would love to have the opportunity to welcome you to our worship, and I know you'll be glad you came. But for now, that's it for this episode of the Love to Tell the Story podcast. As always, I thank you for listening today, and until next time, may God bless you with a great day every day. We'll talk to you soon.